I'm Meg Dahl, your unbreakable host. Welcome to the show. and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Unbreakable You podcast. I am so happy to be sitting down with you today and (laughs) snuggling up in my office with my microphone recording this intro to this podcast episode, which I actually just recorded with my friend Jillian from Jillian Margaret Wellness. If you follow her on Instagram, if you don't yet, click the link in the show notes because you're definitely going to want to follow her if you're not already doing so. But as I said, I actually just recorded this podcast episode with her. So it's super fresh in my mind. And usually I have somewhat of a little bit of a stockpile of podcast episodes. I usually don't record and then release the podcast episode that within like those 24 hours. But that kind of explains why I wasn't here in your feed last week. So some sad news is I lost all of my podcast recordings that I had recorded for you throughout like August, September, that sort of thing. And they were really good episodes and I was going to release them for you these few weeks in September. Anyways, I lost them all. It was really frustrating. (laughs) Tears were shed. But, you know, at the end of the day, these are things that are easily replaceable. We can hop on a Zoom call again, my guests and I, and re-record all of these episodes, which is exactly what we're going to do. So lucky me, I just get to sit down with my friends once again and re-record some episodes. But anyways, that is why I wasn't in your feeds last week. And honestly, on a typical week, if something like that would have happened, I would have just been like, you know what? They get a solo podcast episode from me this week. And I normally would have just sat down with my mic solo style and recorded a podcast episode with you. I have so many different ideas for solo podcast episodes which will also eventually come your way for sure. But last week I was on my period and I was basically couch ridden for two days. So had I not been experiencing extreme menstrual cramps last week, you would have gotten a solo podcast episode from me. But you know what? I lost all of those podcast episodes that I was going to release to you, including the one that was supposed to come out last week. 
I even had it all edited and it was all ready to go. Completely lost it. And I did have the thought of pushing through, sitting down, recording a podcast episode. But by this point, it was like already after dinner time. I was exhausted. I was dealing with a lot of period cramps, stuff like that. And I just knew that I just would, it would be in my best interest and it would be the most loving decision for myself if I simply just gave myself the week off. So that's exactly what I did. And you know what, friends, if there's one thing you take away from this intro today, because let me tell you, you're going to take a lot away from our episode today with Jillian. But if you take away one thing from this intro with just me, it's choose the next loving thing for yourself. Like ask yourself, literally ask yourself in that moment, what is the most loving thing I could do for myself? Like I said, in that moment when I had lost all those files, there was that part of me that was like, well, you just got to sit down buckle up, put your big girl panties on, and you gotta record a solo episode. So you have a a podcast. I cannot talk today. So you have a podcast episode to release to everyone tomorrow. And then there was also a part of me that just wanted to chill out for the rest of the evening and lay on the couch and watch some conversations with friends, which... I ended up doing, by the way, and I finished the entire series, but that was the most loving thing I could do for myself in that moment, and I think, you know, if, like I said, if you take anything away from this intro, just ask yourself, what's the most loving thing I can do for myself right now? So I hope that inspires you on this lovely last Wednesday of September. I do not know how it is the end of September already, but it is. And if you're familiar with this podcast, you know what that means. That means that we have a solo podcast episode coming out next week. So it might look different than our usual first Wednesday of the month episodes. Those tend to be our mental health check-in episodes. But from now on, like they're always going to be just a solo podcast episode, but I'm going to change things up a little bit. I think just a little bit, but you're still just getting a solo podcast episode with me just as you requested. So anyways, let's start talking about today's conversation with Jillian. Oh, I love Jillian so much. Her and I chatted about sourdough for basically an hour. I know this is probably one of the more lengthy podcast episodes I've released in a while. They're usually under an hour, but as you can see, this is over an hour. So I'm going to wrap this up soon, but I do want to let you know that Jillian was super, super generous and gave us a discount code for her sourdough course. So if you're watching me make all the sourdough goodies, sourdough bread, sourdough cookies, honestly, I just had a cookie. Um, Jillian and I recorded this podcast episode I ran downstairs, grabbed a cookie, came back up, and now I'm here recording this intro for you. 
Oh gosh, I want you to get your hands on her course. So if you listen to this podcast episode and make it to the end, you will hear me at the end of this episode talking about the discount code that you can use when you go purchase her course. So make sure you listen to the whole episode and my little snippet at the end. Thanks for being here and I'll see you again next week. Hi, Jillian. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited to finally have you on. I've been following you on Instagram for what seems like quite a while, and I just love everything that I'm learning from you and just observing and things like that. So, hi. (laughs) Hi. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. This is my first official podcast that I've been on. So. I know I'm so excited. Wow, I'm really honored. So, wow, this is the first one. Well, that's super cool. Thank you for coming on mine first. I can't believe no one else has like snatched you up because I mean, I want to pick your brain about sourdough. And I know a lot of our listeners today, I mean, that's why people are listening to this episode pretty much because, you know, I love sourdough. And before I connected with you on Instagram, I started making my own sourdough, but then I came across your stuff and I was like, wow, she is, she knows, she really knows what she's doing. And you have this whole course and everything like that. So I know our listeners have a lot of sourdough related questions and stuff like that. But before we dive into that and everything else you're about, maybe give yourself a little bit of an intro so people know who you are. Yeah. Well, I would say um, I have lived many lives in my short life. (laughs) And I'm sure a lot of us in the health field feel like that. And there's a reason that we are where we're at now, because most of us didn't start out this way. There's something that brought us to this space where we wanted to learn more about how to take care of ourselves and I think there's also this movement right now, like evolving beyond the food workout supplement um, and into just so much more than that, because we know now that being fully well and um, thriving is about so much more than those three things. And so um, I've always loved food that has been just since I was a child, I was making afternoon snacks for my siblings when we would all get home from school and um my uh, older brother was actually, he was unwell when he was in his teens. And so we went through like a huge shift in the way that my family um, was eating when I was about 10, 11 years old. And it was really, um, I don't know, it was kind of the first time that I realized that food was so impactful. Um, And I mean, it was, I look back now and I laugh because back then healthy was like carrot beet juice and, uh, soy everything and like spinach fettuccine noodles, you know, just like kind of these like pseudo health kind of things. Um, but it, it was, it was very eye-opening for me. And I think when I was off on my own, it was kind of like, oh, I get to choose my own food now. And so I think I've done maybe every single diet under the sun, <laughs> of course, starting in vegetarian and vegan. Cause that's when I was coming up, you know, 15 years ago was having like, it's really big trend of being plant-based. And so that's where I started. And, um, 
yeah, I just kind of was teaching myself how to cook because my mom hated cooking, which I think is very common for um, a lot of women our age. Our moms were kind of that generation that they didn't want to be in the kitchen cooking. Um, and so I just was not taught how to do any of that. And so I had to teach myself and it was a, definitely a trial by error. Like, I mean, some of the food I look back on, my husband and I have been together for almost 12 years now. And we laugh about the meals that we used to make because he was, I was vegan and he was like bodybuilder. So he would eat chicken breast and broccoli and brown rice. <laughs> and I'd be like, I'll eat the broccoli and brown rice and add like hummus on the side kind of thing. Um, and we've just both come so far, you know, and just kind of met in the middle. And since then we've had three beautiful children and that has totally changed my game too. And I feel like that's brought me through a whole roller coaster of health and wellness. And I think with my son, my, my first child, he's a little over six now. It was kind of like, oh, I don't, if I don't want him to eat it, then I shouldn't be eating it because he's watching everything I do. Um, and by then I had discovered um, traditional eating and, you know, Weston A. Price Foundation. Um, I actually went to culinary school that was based on those principles in Australia right after my husband and I were married. And so it's been 10 years now since I've been really doing those super nourishing, just real whole foods, properly prepared, delicious, you know, butter and cheese and just all of that good stuff. Um, but yeah, my, my, my son had eczema. And so we went through like all of the, um, elimination diets and it became just kind of the other end of the spectrum. It was unhealthy because of how restrictive, restrictive, restrictive it was. And, and I had this fear that was surrounding, every single thing that I or my son put in our mouth and it was, it was controlling me and um, it was really impacting the health of our family mentally. Um, and I had my daughter really soon after he was born and it was just, it was a lot. And I had a very restricted diet because I was still nursing and I was scared that anything I ate was going to impact them. And um, it was just like this really eye-opening time of oh, my diet is not just what I eat, but it's also the thoughts that I have surrounding food. And um, I don't know, once we got past that, it was kind of, I just, I wanted to have fun with food again. I wanted to enjoy it again. I wanted to teach my children that food was something to, to nourish you, not just because of what it is and what it's made out of, but how much you enjoy it and the joy that you get from it. So that's really been now the last four or five years, um, just having so much fun in the kitchen with them. And if we want a donut, sure, we can go get one, but hey, let's make them. Let's, you know, and it's just so fun for them to see where food comes from. And um, we had a, a surprise addition to our family about a year ago, another little one. And I just am so grateful. It's been such a different experience this time around with her first foods and you know, she is eating all the sourdough bread with butter on it. And we're just, I'm not afraid to feed her, you know, and I think that is just such a gift. And I think that, that there's so much of that going around right now where people are told that this thing is bad for you. So then they fear that, but then someone else says, oh, that's good for you now. And now this is bad for you. And they're like, why well, haven't been eating that for the last two years. And so now, you know, and it's, I just think there's so much confusion. And I think people are really um, just fearful and, and that's just kind of something that I want to get away from. And I think part of that is, is why I was so excited about sourdough when I first started, which I learned to make sourdough 10 years ago when I was in culinary school. And it was so complicated. And I remember coming home and being like, okay, I'm going to do this sourdough thing. And my loaves just were terrible. 
And I was just trying so hard and it didn't work. And I got so frustrated. And then the whole gluten-free thing started and everybody was gluten-free and it was just easy to be gluten-free because everybody was gluten-free. And I was buying like gluten-free sourdough bread for my son when he was a baby. And it was so expensive. And I was looking at the ingredients thinking, okay, there's thickeners in here and, you know, all of these things that they're adding to it to mimic sourdough bread, which is just organic flour and water and thinking, well, what's so bad about that again? I forgot, you know? And so then it was kind of like this relearning. Um, and I think my son was probably two and a half or three when I was like, you know what, I'm just going to buy a bag of flour and I'm going to simplify this because this we're a systems family. <laughs> we like creating systems for things. And, um, that way, once you figure it out, once you don't have to think about it anymore. So I was like, I can do this with sourdough. I can just simplify this, make a rhythm that fits our lifestyle and just do that and go for it. And so that's been now, yeah, three or four years ago. And I think that's, this course was basically, I'm not an expert on sourdough. And I think so many people think she's so good at sourdough. That's why she made a course. No, it was because I was intimidated by it. And so for me, it was, how can I simplify this so that I'm no longer afraid? And Hey, maybe other people also are really intimidated by this thing. That's really not scary. Cause it's a bag of flour and water that you combine together. <laughs> and if it fails, that's okay. Like, it's just a bag of flour. You know, it's just a loaf of bread. You have to bake bad bread sometimes before you get to the good bread. And I think we just bake that bad bread and we see it and we're like, Oh, I'm bad at this moving on. You know, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, but I think once you push through that and you really integrate it into your daily rhythms, it's so rewarding. And, um, I don't know. I just think I love it. I think it's magical. It is so rewarding. <laughs> like I, I so agree with you and it's just fun, like feeding it every day and doing the discard and making those types of recipes. And we'll get into all of that for sure. And I have so many sourdough related questions, but I don't want to just like hop right into sourdough stuff after you shared that entire like very juicy story with us and one thing specifically really stood out to me and I think maybe you could expand on this elaborate on it because I think you know our listeners could really benefit from that but you just mentioned how you know some people are saying that hey this is really bad for you and then there's this other camp of people saying, hey, but this is actually really good for you, right? And it can get extremely confusing. And these are conversations I have with my clients literally on a weekly basis. And it can get just so confusing and overwhelming. And then we start getting into that disordered eating territory, right? And it sounds like you have been able to navigate that and you know currently as I follow you on Instagram like there I don't see restriction in the way that you nourish you and your family and I think that's just really refreshing compared to a lot of other people on social media and so you know what would you say to those people listening right now that are feeling really conflicted by this is healthy no it's not and all of those types of messages like what would you say to them and maybe is there something that you specifically do to not get caught up in all of that confusion 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this was the reason. So I don't know if you knew this, but first I was um, studied as a nutritionist. And so I'm also a registered nutritionist. And then when I did that, it almost made it all more confusing because you see all the different, you know, the dogma and the ideologies and all of these people that are basically saying opposite things. And there's research to support all of it, quite honestly. And that's, that's kind of the impetus for me going to culinary school, because I was like, well, what's the point of telling people what to eat if they don't know how to make it taste good or enjoy it? And that was kind of a light bulb moment for me where it really brought it back to common sense. How do you feel when you eat it? What, what sounds good to you to eat? I mean, and, and I tell this to people all the time in terms of meal planning, because they're like, oh, I can, I make this meal plan and I never follow it because yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking, well, are you actually putting things on the meal plan that sounds good for you to eat? Or are you just putting them on the meal plan because they're quote unquote healthy, or this is what you're supposed to be eating, or you have fish on the meal plan because you're supposed to eat fish once a week when, I mean, yeah, that's great to diversify your protein sources. But if you're in a season of life where that stresses you out, or it doesn't sound good, or your kids hate it every time you cook fish, let it go, you know, do you know, make macaroni and cheese from scratch. If that's what everybody wants, make some delicious macaroni and cheese instead. You're still getting protein. If it's homemade and it's high quality ingredients, I am all for it. And I think another thing people can kind of get uh, in the the muck and mire about is this properly prepared part of that. Because, you know, sourdough is properly prepared gluten. This is the, the proper way to make bread. If that stresses you out and you can make homemade bread from, yeast and it doesn't bother you go for it you know and I think uh, this person says don't eat beans or you're supposed to soak and sprout your beans if you eat beans and it doesn't upset your stomach and you don't have thyroid issues or it's not affecting you in that way don't cut out beans just because so-and-so says that beans are not good for you um and I know like for my kids they do great with sprouted nuts they love sprouted nuts we eat them and every time I post about the people are like you guys eat nuts and I'm like yes we do (laughs) My kids eat them more than I do, but because for me, it causes digestive issues when I eat too much, even sprouted nuts, um, which, you know, are more easily digestible even than, you know, a regular raw nut. Um, And I think everything in moderation. And I think that's another thing where people get stuck up in because they think, well, how much is too much and how, and so it's easier for people to just say, well, I'm just not going to eat gluten. I'm just not going to eat sugar, or I'm just not going to eat this X, Y, Z, whatever it is, because there's that gray area. And if someone's not telling them this X amount is the right amount to eat, which newsflash doesn't exist, you know, different for everybody. (laughs) I think it's just easier for people not to think about it and cut it out. And I think when you go back to common sense, what sounds good, how was this a hundred years ago, how would someone have eaten this? You know, would they be eating, you know, I think about like nut butter, people love nut butter and we love, my kids love peanut butter. But then I think about it a hundred years ago, they wouldn't have giant jars of peanut butter in their pantry because they would harvest nuts in the fall. They might make some nut butter from it, but they're not going to be able to have a giant jar of nut butter once a week, you know? And so I just kind of, think about things common sensely, and that's going to be different for different cultures and different backgrounds. Um, but I just common sense, man, it is just, I think we need more of that in the nutrition space. And I, I almost think some people they're so in the weeds with what 
people are telling them to eat that they can't zoom out and think, okay, do I actually like this food? Do I, you know, some people love kale salads and they feel great when they eat them. I like the taste of kale salads, but then I think about it and I'm like, actually just like all of the dressing that's on it <laughs> and the toppings. And, but when I think about it, I'm like, oh, when I eat raw salads, I get a stomach ache every single time. And it's the same for me for smoothies. I love smoothies. I get a stomach ache every time I eat smoothies. Do you know why? Because I am such a fast eater. I go and I swallow it without chewing it. And so I know that about myself. And so I know if I'm going to have smoothies, I need to put it in a bowl and put granola on top and eat it like that. So I actually chew it. And so I think we're so quick to villainize foods instead of actually thinking, what is it about this food that maybe, you know, could potentially be harmful to my health? Or does this make me feel good when I eat it? Do I crave that thing? I think people think cravings are a negative thing. I think it's a very positive way that our bodies communicate with us. It's just our, the way that we eat is so flooded with not real food that they're thinking, oh, I'm craving cookies, but cookies are bad for me because they're thinking Oreos. But if you're making homemade sourdough chocolate chip cookies that are long fermented, I don't think there's anything wrong with eating a cookie every single night. And people are like, you guys eat cookies every night. Your kids eat dessert every night. And I'm like, yes, my children eat dessert every single night. And they're not overweight. They're not unhealthy. They're not sick all the time. They don't have rotten teeth, you know? Um, and I, I think it's just it's almost like these labels are, they're more harmful than they are helpful. And I think people think, oh, sugar is bad. So I'm not going to cook with sugar, but coconut sugar is going to be very different than white sugar that's found in Chips Ahoy on the shelf, you know? And I think people aren't actually thinking also what's coming along with that white sugar and the Chips Ahoy, the refined vegetable oils and super refined flours and I don't know. I just, I, and I think there's so much more to food than just the, the parts that are put together. There's, was it prepared with love word? Was it eaten with joy and, you know, um, anticipation. And I don't know. I just think there's so much more to it than those, you know, kind of disparate parts that we're trying to add up and say, Oh, this plus this plus this equals a healthy meal when really there's just so much more to it. And people don't like that. They don't like the nuance. I don't think because, we as human beings, we want black and white, but it just doesn't exist because it's messy and people don't like mess, you know? Right. And it's different for everyone. I think my, I loved everything that you said, but I think my favorite part was we, we kind of lose track of, Hey, does this actually feel good for me? Right. Do I actually enjoy this food and how does this food affect me? Or like, how does it leave me feeling? Right. Um, I think that's, like one of the most beautiful things that you offered to people, you know, we think that X, Y, Z, we shouldn't be eating that, but Hey, like, does that actually work for you? Like, do you actually feel okay eating that? And if, if you do, that's kind of all that matters at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I do think it, it kind of, my kids are playing outside. I'm going to close my window. <laughs> we have some outside kids. They like to go outside. Um, um, but I think once people start to have children, it almost becomes, uh, heightened because kids can't say, oh, I think that that smoothie hurt my stomach or, you know, that I think we're so like, oh, we want to make sure we give them the best food or people just give up altogether and think, well, you know, I ate that crap and I turned out. Okay. I think there's two ends of the spectrum there where 
we give up because we turned out fine and we ate lucky charms or they're like totally stressed out about it and they don't stress out in a way it, it's not helpful because they don't have the answers that they're looking for. So they're kind of like, well, maybe we should be vegan or maybe they should be eating right. this. It or- becomes restrictive. Absolutely. And the, the kids, kids are so intuitive. They feed off of that. They totally get that vibe around food. And I think that that can affect their digestion. And we know digestion is everything. I mean, you could be eating the healthiest food if your digestion is poor or affected by, you know, your mental state or anything like that. You might as well be eating McDonald's because your body is not utilizing what you're actually feeding it. Um, it's people will message me and say, well, my, my kid only wants to eat fruit. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm sure they don't eat fruit. Um, but is that a bad thing that they like fruit? Maybe they just need a lot of carbs or natural sugars or, min- you know, it's very mineral rich. And people are like, I've never thought about it like that before. You know, um, fruit actually, I don't know, but I don't, you, I don't know if you've read anything on like eating babies or anything. There's this school of thought that you don't give sweet food to babies for their first food because then they'll, you know, be wired for sweets and they'll always want sweet for the rest of their life. I'm sorry. I've tasted breast milk before. It's yes. the sweetest thing I've ever had. You know, That's exactly what I was thinking. It's like, how does that even make sense not to feed a baby like banana for an example, as its first food? Like I heard, you know, avocado or something like that should be the first food, like something kind of more bland, not a mashed banana or something like that. But it's like breast milk is super sweet. And that's probably what the baby has been eating up until this point. Yes. And it's mostly carbohydrates. I mean, I'd say it's car. I I don't know the exact composition, but it's carbohydrates first, fat, second protein last. And people are like, well, I want to make sure my, and listen, I'm the protein queen. Like I am all about balanced meals. I get that and wanting to make sure our kids are getting enough protein. But I think that uh, we're trying to fit this like you know, square peg in a round hole, like, well, my kid needs to eat this, this, that, but it's like, what if it changes depending on what phase of development they're in? What, you know, what time of year it is. I, I think our macronutrient needs probably change throughout the year as well. And we're trying to have this rubric for the right way to do things. And it's causing us so much stress instead of just sitting, resting, what am I craving right now? What are, what are my kids gravitating towards right now? And letting that be okay, I think is so much healthier than forcing your kid to eat liver and having a food fight over it. I mean, which side note, my kids love taking liver pills. They just think it's like the funnest thing ever. And I'm like, that's great, fine. Um, because they just want to swallow pills with me. Um, they actually chew those little shilajit, like the little black pills. They like chew, like they taste good. And I'm like, they make me gag the taste of <laughs> Yeah, but they love them. That's but again, their, their bodies probably like minerals, like they love it, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's so important to just slow down. And I think that just opens a whole nother can of worms of how we just don't live in a world that really is safe for families to live slowly. I think we're just like go, 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 that we're, we're thinking in rapid fire. And it's hard to think clearly when you are in that state, you know, when you're just like, go, 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 I have to go to this next, 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 next. Um, and so we're trying to break everything down to this right, wrong, black, white. This is what I do. If I do this, everything will turn out fine. I don't need to think about it anymore. Um, I don't know. Cause it's, yeah. I mean, my husband and I both, both work from home. Our kids are home with us all day. 
if anybody should have all the time in the world, it's us. And there are still times that I'm like, <laughs> you know, I get to like lunchtime and I'm like, okay, what's for lunch? What do we, and I'm in this chronic state of like panic and stress. And I'm the like, fight or flight, right? It tells us a lot about our nervous system when we're seeking that black and white, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's such a good point. Um, I don't know. I just think it's, we just need to slow down and, and be okay with, okay, you know, and not try to optimize every single thing. And, and again, like what you're saying with the fight or flight and perfectionism and this need for like productivity and everything to be perfect. Um, I think that just feeds into the whole concept of feeding our families and feeding yourself and, um, feeling like you're ending every day as a failure because you could have done something better because you're following this advice from this person who tomorrow is going to change their mind and say, oh, actually, that is really good for you. So now you need to do that, but stop doing this thing that I told you you should be doing. Um, it's just kind of creating this, I don't know, terrible firestorm of, I, I feel like food seems like it's so complicated, but it's really the simplest thing ever. And I don't think, I mean, I believe in God and I believe in a God who created food for enjoyment. And I don't think that he would have given us something to, you know, cause consternation and fear and frustration, you know? Um, and I tell people, there's a reason that we were created to eat three times a day, at least like we can't go, we can't go without eating very long. And I think, I don't think something that we need to do that frequently, like breathing, we don't have to think about it. We just do it. Um, eating is another thing we have to do to live. I don't, I think we're overthinking it. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it kind of brings us back to what you were saying about just common sense, right? And I think this kind of brings us along to our conversation about sourdough. Like, you know, there's so many people and I fell into this camp for so many years, just not eating bread and not eating like baked goods or things like that. But yeah, when you look at what it takes to make a loaf of sourdough, for an example, it's flour and water, right? And also what we were talking about before, just like the love and the joy that you put into it while you're making it, like you know, that doesn't compare to anything else. And you were also saying how your children have dessert every day. And I was just thinking, huh, I, I've been eating a cookie like every single day. I made this batch of um, oatmeal chocolate chip sourdough cookies and they're so good. And I've been eating one every single day and it's just so enjoyable. But anyways, okay, so Let's get into sourdough because I know you said you're not an expert, but you basically have become an expert because you wanted to figure this out. You did go to culinary school and learned all about this. And I have your course and it is incredible. And I'm just so excited to pick your brain about it because I actually started. So I am one of those people that started making sourdough during the pandemic. I will admit that <laughs> I wasn't making it before. But yeah. again, like I said, I, I was one of those people that was just kind of like, eh, I don't need to be eating bread. Like it just felt too complicated for me. And I have been gluten free. I was actually really underweight and I removed gluten from my diet and I was actually able to start putting weight on and I looked like I looked really ill and when I removed gluten 
it like the weight started coming back on. So there was always like something like that kind of in my mind that Mm -hmm. has kept me like staying away from gluten. But since getting your sourdough course, I actually ordered the flour that you use, which is not gluten free. And I'm so excited to start making like real loaves of sourdough. Yeah. I mean, still to this day, I, I think people assume that I'm gluten-free if they don't know my online persona of sourdough person. Um, but I think because I don't, I don't eat gluten baked goods out. Um, there's one place in our town that uses organic flour and they, um, use a lot of, a lot of their baked goods are sourdough and it's really amazing. I'm very thankful for it. Um, but if I'm just going to get a normal slice of pizza out, if I have more than one or two pieces of pizza, my stomach is, is yelling at me. Like I know, and, um, it's just amazing what a difference it makes the flour you use, which there's a whole module in my course about the different types of flour, modern wheat and heirloom wheats and ancient varieties of wheat, which you were saying the flour I use, we typically use einkorn flour, which is one of the oldest varieties of wheat, um, which they're not exactly sure why it's more easily digestible, but people who are celiac can typically eat einkorn flour, especially if it's um, fermented, like in a sourdough baked good. So they're not exactly sure what it is about it. You know, I don't know. I just, there's, it has less chromosomes. Like there's all these like molecular kind of sciencey things, which I try to stay away from because I'm like a simple person. I just want, you know, I'm very practical, simple kind of things. So I don't need to know that. So I don't research it because I'm like, it doesn't really matter. I know it works for me. So um, I'm going to take it. But yeah, I think the, the type of flour you're using matters a lot. Um, starting just at organic, I think just switching to organic flour is going to be, uh, a great move for a lot of people that probably people who think they might be intolerant to gluten. If they start using organic flour and cooking sourdough, they'll find that they can totally digest it. Me being one of those people. So, um, there's so many cofactors that we don't take into account and you saying, you know, and I was gluten-free for so many years thinking, oh, I feel so much better when I don't eat gluten, but not taking into account, oh, but the things I cut out were all of these things that it wasn't maybe just the gluten that was making me feel terrible or um, obviously causing health issues. Like with you, um, there might've been all of these cofactors too, or maybe you just had to go through a period of healing from the years of subpar nutrition. And now your body is built up enough. Your host is strong enough now and um, to be able to eat what it's supposed to eat. So I feel like I'm at the stage of my life and like my healing where I was feeling really confident. Like I've made a few loaves now, like four loaves of actual like gluten-free sourdough and they turn out great. Like the outside of them looks perfect. The inside even looks really great, but you have to toast it because it's like, you know, kind of like oh, that low rubbery it's yeah it's it's fully cooked but it doesn't yeah. seem like it's fully cooked and so when I got yeah. your course I was like you know what I'm gonna do it exactly how she tells me to do it and I'm so excited I ordered that type of flour and yeah I'm really excited to start my new starter so do you name your feeling. starter is that something you do <laughs> You know, we have kind of, I've also had three children in the time that I've started my sourdough starter. And so I feel like I tell people to name it because I feel it's like a pet, like 
once you give it a name, you feel like, oh, I can't forget about it now because I, a lot of people were like, oh, my sourdough starter, it just got kind of wonky. So I tossed it and I'm like, no, why? Like this carton feed and, you know, it makes me, it seriously hurts my heart. And people are like, ah, it just wasn't really like looking right. So I just threw it away. And I'm like, no, don't do that. People, please throw your sourdough starters away. There are very few things that a sourdough starter cannot come back from. Um, even I've had mold growing on the top of mine, not like you know, black mold or anything insidious, like that, but just like the fuzzy mold. And literally all you need is like the teensiest little bit on the tip of a spoon in a clean part of the jar to start a new starter. Um, it's, I mean, it is one of the more resilient things on the planet. And I think people don't realize it's a living thing. It's a living, breathing thing. And I do get a lot of emails from people who are like, oh, well, my, my, um, my dough looks different because of all of the recipes I have in the course, there's a cookbook in there, but also I have videos of me preparing them because I think consistency is so important because people are like, is it supposed to be this hard to stir? And you see me like really working to stir something. You're like, oh yeah, it's hard for her too. So, um, but also depending on where you are and, um, you know, how long your starter has been fermenting, if it's discard, the longer it's been sitting there, the thinner it's going to be because more fermentation has happened. It's eaten more of the starches. And so something that might start out really thick actually gets thinner as it ferments. And so people are like, mine isn't turning out like yours. And I think people don't want to accept the fact that it's not an exact science. And I think so many people think that sourdough is this exact, like I have to make sure everything is the exact weight it's supposed to be. And, you know, I have to use the exact same bowl and the exact same this, this, that. And it's just not, it is this living thing. And I think just cooking with real foods in general, you can't get the same result every single time. And my husband, it's a joke to my husband and I, because I swear I've made hundreds of batches of sourdough chocolate chip cookies every single time they turn out different. And he's like, did you do something? I'm like, no, I, I use the same recipe every single time. And they just slightly like, sometimes they'll be puffier. Sometimes they'll be thinner and chewy. Sometimes they'll be like really cakey. Sometimes they'll be like crispy. You just don't know what you're going to get. And I think you, the sooner you accept it, the better off you'll be. <laughs> yeah. So you did mention discard and that was one of the questions that I had initially. Like, I think when you enter the sourdough world, you hear words like active starter and discard, and maybe you can like, you know, answer that for everyone. Cause I know it can be confusing when you're first getting started. Totally. So there's a life cycle of your starter. Okay. And the life cycle starts when you feed it and it ends the next time you feed it. Okay. So typically people feed it every 24 hours. If you want a really happy starter every 12 hours, there are times when I'm feeding mine every 12 hours and it's really, really happy. There are times that I might go three days without feeding it and it's okay. You can go longer than that if you have it in your fridge. Um, so when you feed your starter, it is neither active nor discard. It is proofing starter. Okay. So you have fed your starter. It's got fresh flour and water in there. The bacteria needs are going to work in there. You want to give it time to do its job. Okay. So you're not using it at that point. Now, after usually four to six hours, 
is when it hits peak activity. So that's your active starter. It's when your starter has usually doubled. Um, it's got lots of bubbles all throughout. You'll see bubbles on the surface. This is the, the gases from the fermentation happening. This is when you use it for things like bread and donuts and cinnamon rolls, anything where it's actually the starter is doing the lifting work. Okay. So it's the yeast portion of your recipe. So that's active starter. And that's about four, four to eight, depending on the temperature in your kitchen, 48 hours for two, eight, not 48 for two, eight hours after you fed it. Okay, so now if you don't use it at that point, it's gonna continue to ferment. And so what happens, it reaches peak and then all of the bacteria and yeast have eaten all of their little food in there. And they say, oh, we're still hungry, but there's nothing left for us to eat. They start eating each other. And so what happens is it starts to deflate. And so I always have a rubber band on my jar so I can tell when it's doubled, because I am, you know, running around my house like a chicken with my head cut off most days. And I keep it on a shelf in my kitchen. Every time I walk by, I'm like, is it ready yet? No, it's not ready. And then I go and I walk by again, is it ready yet? So I, it's a visual cue for me. Okay. Now it's ready to mix my bread together. 50% of the time I miss it. And so I'm just like, you know what? We're having biscuits for breakfast and that's fine. Yeah, more because, cookies. <laughs> yes, totally, or cookies or whatever. And so once it gets past that peak activity, it's now discard starter because you're not going to use it in like a loaf of bread or something where you need it to be the leavening or the yeast in that recipe. So that's why 75% of the recipes in my cookbook and the ones that I make personally at home are discard recipes because you've got a lot more discard than you have active starter typically. Um, so why it's called discard is before you feed your starter again, you're going to want to pour some of that starter out. If you keep that same level of starter and you keep feeding that, not only is your jar going to be overflowing, you're going to have to keep getting bigger, bigger, bigger jars, but you now have more mouths to feed. Can like Think about if you keep having children to feed and you don't like ship them out and say, okay, now it's time for you to leave the house and I have more kids to feed now. And so you have to feed it way more amounts of flour and water um, to keep it happy. And so that's why it's called discard because typically people pour it out, discard it, um, just a way of saying, pouring it out of the jar basically. And then you feed what's left in your jar. And I only ever leave maybe an inch in my jar. Like people are thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to be all the starter. I don't know what to do with it. I am, I keep a tight ship with my starter because I don't like to have waste. And I also don't like to have huge jars of discard waiting in my fridge to be used because every time I open the fridge, it makes me feel guilty. <laughs> And then I end up just throwing it away because I'm like, well, now it's been in there for two weeks. I can still technically use it, but now I have two other weeks of discard that I have to use that, you know, so I actually have a rule. I don't put discard in my fridge because once it goes in my fridge, it gets forgotten in my house. So I, when I feed my starter and I discard, I leave it in a bowl on my counter. And if I don't use it by the end of the day for a discard recipe, it goes in the garbage or the compost. And I don't think about it again. <laughs> because otherwise it becomes that like stressful and that's just part of my sourdough rhythm and I, everybody has a different rhythm some like you said you have some in your freezer some people do that I will use every last scrap of discard for me and my personality it will weigh on me so I'm like I just need to just let it go and be okay with that and I think it just is so unique to what kind of person you are or what kind of baker you are how often you bake and I know a lot of people keep theirs in their fridge their actual starter in their fridge and they take it out on like a Friday and feed it once or twice until it's nice and bubbly, bake with it on Saturday or Sunday and put it back in their fridge. So they don't have to think about it again until the next Friday. Um, I'm home all day. So it's not, I can, I can bake on a whim when I want to. And also we have 
five of us to feed. So um, we're pretty much making a loaf of bread every other day at least. And then usually a discard recipe between there as well. So, um, cause everything, all of our baked goods pretty much are sourdough at this point. So um, yeah, it's our kids know to ask the day before, you know, cause in the morning I used to say, okay, what do you guys want for breakfast? And they have waffles. And I'm like, well, I had to start that last night. So now they know at dinner to say, mommy, can we have waffles tomorrow? Cause I have to mix it up at dinner time. So it's ready in the morning. Um, so it's just really kind of, it's revolutionized, revolutionized like my meal planning because it's made me better about thinking kind of in reverse. You know, if I want to have, you know, waffles on Wednesday, then I have to make sure that I mix up my batter on Thursday or, you know, on Tuesday night so that it's ready. Um, and it, it's kind of nice because then I wake up on Wednesday and think, Hey, we're having waffles for breakfast. And I just have to add, you know, a little bit of milk, some eggs, some baking powder, and then we have waffles, you know? Um, so half of it is done before I've even woken up in the morning. I love that so much. And this is one thing about your course that I think is so helpful you actually help people like find that rhythm for themselves so it doesn't become this overwhelming thing like that was something so I had started I started like back um at this time I guess last year and I was making loaves and I made several discard recipes and then I got to a point where I was like uh okay like kind of I had a hard time getting into like that maintenance mode because like you said there's five of you in your house and in my house there's Scott and I and he's so funny like I made these really good sourdough oatmeal chocolate chip cookies like I said and he knows that I use like all my really good ingredients in them and you know I was so excited to share them with him. And he's like, well, I'm not eating those. Like you made them like so good. Like you eat them all. And I'm like, what? Like now I have to eat like this whole, and I got like 24 cookies out of the batch. And I was just like, Scott, you need to help me. So that was what, that's kind of like the way that it goes here because he's like, I don't care what cookies I eat. You eat all your good cookies. So I needed to find like a schedule that actually worked for me that didn't have me baking every single day because I just couldn't keep up with that. So your course actually really helps you find that maintenance rhythm kind of thing. Yeah. It's like what we were talking about with nutrition. You're trying to, anytime we try to impose someone else's rhythm or standards or schedule or way of doing things to our life without tweaking it for our particular needs or, you know, however our days go, I think we're just going to end up feeling overwhelmed and a little bit stressed out about it. And then people end up just saying, oh, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. And just like toss it. And they're like, I'm just, it was too much. And I think that's what I hear so much. Like sourdough, that's a lot. Like that's too much. It's just too. And I'm like, well, only if you let it be too much, is it too much? Because you actually get to decide how much you bake, you know, um, you like the sourdough, it's just a tool, you know, it's just another tool in your tool belt and you get to manipulate different variables. Like temperature and time and all of these things to make it fit your rhythm and how often you want to bake and how many baked goods you need to have. Um, and there are times still when I go four or five days and I'm like, I just can't be bothered to do right now. (laughs) And so I usually just 
feed it and put it in the fridge. And I'm like, I'll see you in a few days when I'm ready for you again. You know? Nice. Yeah. So like I have this one client and her and her husband bake a loaf of sourdough. They're super into sourdough and they bake once a week, right? Mm -hmm. Like every weekend they make a loaf. And so if someone wanted to be on that type of schedule, you would just kind of pop it in the fridge Mm -hmm. and take it out like a day or two before you want to bake. It, it depends on the maturity of your starter. So the older your starter is, the basically the stronger it is. You just kind of think of it like that. Um, and so some younger starters might take a few feeds, which is just giving it flour and water before it's really active and bubbly. Uh, at this point, my starter, it takes one, maybe two feeds after I refrigerate it for it to be peak activity again. And you um, would be discarding too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So when I put it in the fridge, I did, I do like a really big, I call it my aggressive discard. And I have a post on my Instagram about this because so many people, they're like, I can't get my starter. It just doesn't seem to be doubling or being happy. And I call it the aggressive discard. You are literally getting rid of everything other than what is just clinging to the sides of your jar. And then you feed it and people are like, no, I'm throwing away all my starter. And I'm like, I promise it will come back. It will be better. <laughs> Sometimes you have to like, you know, remove the chaff before it like really is thriving. Um, And so I do an aggressive discard. I feed it not a a huge amount, maybe 50 grams flour and and 50 grams of water. And then I put it in the fridge and it will slowly ferment when it's in there. So whereas normally if that was on the counter, I'd have to refeed that eight to 12 hours later, usually with that small amount of flour in the fridge, that gives me four days and it won't be like totally overproofed or it won't. Sometimes, um, your starter can separate. And I call that hungry starter because it just needs more food. Um, and people say it's got a gray liquid on top. What is that? It's just lactic acid from the bacteria has been fermenting and fermenting and it's hungry. And so that basically just separates out. Um, doesn't mean it's bad or wrong or anything like that. It's just hungry. Um, And so a lot of times if people put their starter in the fridge and they leave it in there for two, three weeks, and it's got that liquid on top, they think they've ruined it, but they haven't, it's just hungry. Um, And so that's going to take longer to come back. Probably you'd have to take that out and feed it at room temperature for maybe two or three days before it's going to be thriving to the point where it's going to bake a good loaf of bread. Um, If it's been in there for a long time, it's going to take longer for it to come back from that refrigeration time. Um, But if it's a weekly thing and it's on that rhythm, I truly think that your starter is going to adapt to whatever um, you're doing. So once it gets in that rhythm of being fed every fifth day, um, you'll probably get into a rhythm where you take it out Friday morning, feed it Friday morning, feed it Friday night before bed. It might be ready to bake with Saturday morning or even feed it again Saturday morning and then bake with it Saturday afternoon. And another thing that you can use to manipulate kind of uh, just the whole process of sourdough so that it, it's not running your schedule, basically it's refrigeration. Even after you've mixed dough, you can refrigerate it and then bake it when you're ready to bake it instead of baking it when it's ready to be baked, if that makes sense. That does Um, make sense. And that's a real game changer. That's what really piqued my interest about your course and I just heard you talking about that and I'm like yeah you know you want to get into making Mm -hmm. sourdough and I heard you talking about how it shouldn't be like running your life and I was like that's how I felt when I first started it was just like I had so much discard I had so much and I'm like how am I ever going to use all of this stuff and Mm -hmm. like I don't need to be baking multiple times a week you know yeah And even I didn't really figure that out until this year because 
I could, it could run my life because I was home. I could wake up early and bake a loaf of bread before the kids woke up. It wasn't that big of a deal. And then since having baby number three, it was like, okay, I need to figure this out because now my mornings and my evenings are occupied by my newborn baby and I can't mix a loaf of bread up before bed and then bake it first thing in the morning because I'm holding a baby at those times. Um, And my baby is more important than my sourdough bread. So I had to figure out how to make this work. And my, my lows were overproving because our kitchen was really hot and I wasn't able to get to it on time. And so it was just another part of that refining process of, hey, what if I just put it in the fridge and then brought it out a few hours before I wanted to bake it just to bring it to room temperature. And it's been like the best my loaves have ever been. Um, Yeah, so, and I think so many people are overproving their loaves without even realizing. And I've been, I can't even tell you how many emails or messages I got this summer specifically. And I was like, it's too hot. They're overproving. And I know this worked, this rhythm may have worked for you in December when it was really cool, but in July, when it's really warm, it might only take your loaf of bread six hours instead of 12 hours, you know? Um, and so just kind of getting to know your materials and then using those tools for manipulating the times so that you can make it work for you instead of being a slave to the schedule, your sourdough basically. Yes. Okay. I love that so much. So hopefully we have convinced everyone to start their first or maybe first, um, sourdough starter. And so, Let's talk more about like where they can actually get their hands on your course. You've been talking a lot about making things simple and it's actually called simple sourdough. It is very simple. And I just appreciate that it's not just recipes. It's not just text, but you do have the videos and that makes a world of a difference. Like I was watching your I forget which recipe it was. It was for one of your loaves of bread and the no need one. And Mm -hmm. I was just like, this is so helpful to just actually see what it looks like while she's mixing it up. And it also made me realize how badly I need a dough hook. (laughs) I, I need to get into that. Oh, I use mine multiple times a day. It's like, like I whisk my eggs with it. I use it for everything. Yeah, I need one desperately. I'm like, my hands are just like- Some of the discard, yeah. Some of the discard recipes too, like a regular whisk does not cut it. No, no, it doesn't. It gets stuck in the middle. So a dough whisk is very, very handy. Um, Very handy. So it's, uh, there's not a lot of tools you need, but that's one that I would say for like $7, it's worth it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I need to just like go and get one today. (laughs) Yes. So we will have your course linked up in the show notes for everyone. And I hope everyone heads over there to grab it. Um, And I have a freebie too, that is um, the sourdough starter. It basically goes through the whole first module of the course, because I think a lot of times people just want to see what it feels like before they really dive in. Can I do this? Exactly. Um, And so there's, I have a freebie on my website that goes through um, how to start a sourdough starter. Um, And then I also, if you bake sourdough, I had a lot of requests to just separate because I have a whole cookbook inside my course. And a lot of people were saying, I know how to make sourdough. Can I just have the cookbook? And so this summer when I updated the course, I um, still have the cookbook in the course, but I separated it for people to buy also if they just wanted the recipes um, because a lot of people 
we'll go online and look at recipes and, and it'll say sourdough cookies, but they're not actually true sourdough because just adding a quarter cup of starter into a recipe and then baking it doesn't make it sourdough. It means you added sourdough starter to it before you baked it. Um, so a real sourdough recipe has to be fermented for eight to 12 hours to have that true fermentation to make it more digestible. Um, and so all of my recipes, all my discard recipes are true sourdough, truly fermented um, eight to 12 hour fermentation time. And sometimes more, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I've got batters in my fridge that have been in there for like over a week and I'm still going to bake them and they're still going to be great. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. The worst thing is just when the milk sours because some of the recipes are I use milk as the liquid. And so I'm like, mm, do I trust this milk? Which we use raw milk, which lasts a little bit longer, but still I'm like doing the smell test. Like, yeah. is that going to be super sour? Yeah. I don't know. Well, I would love to enjoy some of your sourdough cookies someday with you. That'd be so nice. That would be so fun. I know we're like almost as far away as we're we very get. far. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jillian, I had so much fun with you today. I Thank do you. have another question that I ask all of my guests because this is the Unbreakable You podcast. And again, I'm just so pumped that this is your first podcast appearance. So what does it mean to you to be unbreakable? I think resilience is everything. And I just, it's almost, you can get sidetracked. You can get slowed down. You can get, you know, almost stopped, um, but not broken. And I think that that is just basically the story of my life is just like stopping taking stock, taking a deep breath and rerouting, um, without letting it, you know, totally take you out of the game. So I think for me, that's, that's really what it's all about is just being resilient, adapting, shifting gears when you need to, um, and really just keeping your spirit intact and, you know, your real values at the, the center, you know, and just and heading in that direction. Yeah. That's, that's so good. I yeah. love that. Thank you. And it kind of reminded me also what you said about your sourdough starter. Like it takes a lot to actually kill a starter or, you know, have to throw it out. And that's yes. kind of like what you're saying, you know, Absolutely. Yeah. don't throw in the towel. You just got to keep going, man. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I could chat with you for another few hours. <laughs> so we'll just have to have you on again. Absolutely. I'll be back. friends. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Jillian. As I said many times throughout this podcast episode, her course is the sourdough course you want, and she's giving you 10% off her course until the end of October. So I just want to clarify that is October, 2022. If you purchase her sourdough course called Simple Sourdough anytime between now and the end of October 2022, so you have all of October to purchase it as well. If you purchase it anytime between now and then, 
you can get 10% off with the code. And she's super cute. She came up with this code all by herself. Meg is a doll. You see what she did there? (laughs) It's all caps. So no lowercase. Meg is a doll. You can also see this in the show notes, by the way. So go click the link in the show notes, purchase her course for 10% off.